Welcome to the Christian Faith Center podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Here's a message from one of our pastors. This is a great time of year, isn't it? Some, for some people, it can be very challenging. For some people, this can be a uh, very sad time of year, and I hope that's not the case for any of us in here. Um, and if it is, we want to pray with you later. But, um, you know, the message for today and for next Sunday, too, is, is about this idea of power, because we're really in a season of power, right? It's, that's what this is. This is a season of power that we're in. It's a season of a lot of things. It's a season of shopping. It's a season of thinking about other people. It's a season where we celebrate the birth of our Savior. It's a season where, yes, you have to visit family that you might not necessarily like, and you have to tolerate them and pretend like you really enjoy their company, right? Now, we love all of our family members, don't we? It's a season. It's a season of power, and that's what this is. And that's what we're going to be studying today is about how this is a season of power. And if you have your Bible, if you can open up to Acts chapter 5, please. We're going to start in Acts chapter 5. For us as Christians, it's a season of power. It's something that we have to understand. It's something that when we understand the power that God has given to us, it radically changes our situation. When we understand the power that God has given to us, it changes our situation. It changes everything about us. And so this word power in the Greek is from the word dunamis, right? D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis, right? And actually means two different things. It's power and ability, right? If it's talking about something physical or something moral residing in somebody, it's power, it's strength. But then also it can be referred to power in action when relating to like a miracle. And what's the difference? Well, a Corvette, Chevy makes a Corvette. It's called a ZR1. It's a beautiful black carbon fiber, 755 horsepower, right? It's on the Christmas list for me, right? So it's beautiful. It's a car that has a lot of power, has a lot of power. But power in action with that car is when you put the key in the ignition and you start that bad boy up, you push the clutch down, you put it in first gear and you pop it and you go, That's power in action, right? See, it has power. It has the ability to do something powerful, but you're not going to see the power in action until you put the key in and put it in first gear. You see, dynamite has power, but dynamite can have power in action. See, dynamite has power. A stick of dynamite in my hand has the potential for a lot of power, but when I light the fuse on the dynamite, how many of us know there's going to be a whole lot of power in action in a very short period of time? So we have to realize something, that we have been given power. But not only have we been given power, but God has given us power that should be in action. Power in action. So we're going to study that word a lot today. We're also going to study another word, epischiazo, right? Try not to butcher that and try not to make it sound too Italian, because it is a Greek word, epischiazo, which means to overshadow. Now, this term overshadow means really to throw shadow upon, not throw shade, okay? So some of you are thinking about like throwing shade. It's a different term. That's not what this is. This is epi over skia shadow. So there's an overshadowing. There's a covering of this shadow. And it's a term that we've seen a couple times in the New Testament. We see this term overshadowing in the transfiguration of Jesus, which we'll read today. We see it in Mary when the, when the angel comes to her and says, the Holy Spirit, the power of God will overshadow you. And then we're going to read about it here in Acts chapter 5. It's not often used, but when it's used, it's powerful. Let's look at verse 12 in Acts chapter 5. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs, right? That's that word dunamis, that power, and wonders were done among the people. 
And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and yet none of the rest dared to join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So what is now drawing people to the, the apostles in the early church? What's drawing these people to see, like, what's going on? It's the power. It's that dunamis. It's that power in action with the early apostles that is drawing people to them. So look at verse 15. And so they, they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. That's that Greek word episkiziazo, right? That overshadowing. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Say all healed. Some of them were healed. At that moment, in this passage of Scripture, they brought all of these people. And because of this overshadowing of Peter's shadow, the power of God, all the miracle-working ability that is in the disciples that they were operating with, that power in action changed the situation for the people they were ministering to. The overshadowing of the shadow. The shadow as Peter's walking, right? I always envision this in my head. You got to make a mental picture of this. This guy walking in a busy street, Peter's walking full of the power of God, right? Not like when Jesus was on the earth and kind of like doubting and then kind of like and then rejecting him and kind of like hesitant. This is Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in this busy area and his shadow, if it touched somebody, they got healed. They received that dunamis power. They received that power in action and something is changing in them. Why do we need to know about the power of God overshadowing us? Because when the power of God overshadows you, your situation will change. When the power of God overshadows you, your situation will change. It changed for the people in Acts 5. As he's walking, his shadow overshadowed the people and their situation changed. When the power of God overshadows us, our situation changes. How many of us know it changes for the better? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you again in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for every single person hearing this, Lord, that we receive from you, that we receive from your Holy Spirit, that we receive the truths that you have for us, Lord, that we won't be hesitant, we won't be scared to operate in this power, Lord, this dunamis power that you've given to us, that, Father, we will be encouraged, we will be strengthened, we will be emboldened, Lord, to do the things that you've called us to do, to be as bold as the apostles were in the book of Acts, Lord, to go out and operate in this power because that's what you've called us to do. And so we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. See, most of what we're going to be studying today is out of Luke chapter 1. So again, if you have to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 1, you can, or you can follow along up on the screen there. But Luke chapter 1 is what we're going to be reading a lot of today. And so the first point that I want to talk about here is that you and I, we are highly favored. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're highly favored. Go ahead, tell them. Oh, man, this pastor likes when I talk to the people around me. Yes, welcome to church. Talk to people around you. We love you here, okay? It's okay. No one's going to bite you. Um, but you're highly favored. And I believe that the, 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 the ministry of the early church, what the early apostles and what the, what the disciples were doing is exactly what God wants for us to do today. What they were doing, God wants for us to do today. Every single one of us, not just some of us. 
Not just ones that think, well, I'm not on the stage, Nick, God can't use me. That's a lie from the enemy. Well, Nick, you know, I haven't been really going to church that much. I don't understand a whole lot. Well, listen, the more you understand about God, the more you can be used by God. It doesn't happen by accident, which is what we're going to study today. But we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. First thing is, your relationship with God will affect your ability to comprehend his power. So your, your relationship with God will affect how well you can comprehend his power. And so as we study here in Luke chapter 1, we're going to read about Mary and her encounter with the angel Gabriel. I love Luke 1. I love the gospel of Luke because it's very clinical. It's very uh, factual-based. It's very uh, explained very well because Luke was a physician. He was a, he was a studied man. He was a man that if he was going to publish something, he had to make sure he had all the facts, all the firsthand accounts before he wrote this letter. So he's writing to this man, Theopolis, and he's telling him, listen, this is, this is the encounter. This is the gospel that, that, I, that I've, I've, I've experienced. This is the gospel that is truth. And so everything he's writing is from a very like clinical standpoint. And so when he's talking about the virgin birth, this man is a physician. He understands how babies are made. And so for him to write down and record about the virgin birth, why would this guy, this man of medicine, this, this man of science, right? Why would he include this? Because he knew he was completely convinced about the miracle of the virgin birth. That's why he includes it in his letter. That's why he includes it in his gospel. And so we have to be so deeply wholly convinced about this because it, it, everything about our salvation hinges on this. This is not just something that as a Christian, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, virgin kind of birth. No, no, it was a virgin birth. This is what everything, our entire existence, our entire relationship with God, it all hinges on this virgin birth. And that's why when Luke writes it, he's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, he is holy, completely confident in the virgin birth. So because of Luke's relationship with God, he comprehends about the power of the virgin birth. Because of Mary's relationship with God, which we'll get to, she comprehends God's power to work in her life. Let's look at verse 26. I'm reading out of the New King James today. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Angel says, having come, and an angel says to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Turn to that person again. Tell them you're highly favored. You got to tell them. Look at you, highly favored. You're highly favored. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. I hope you don't mind, because I love reading scripture. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. See, Mary, this angel greets Mary, and he says, you are highly favored. Favored. Now, why? what qualified her to be highly favored? This is not something that God sends the angel down and Gabriel says, hey, just go find someone you think might work, right? It's not like that. Just go try to find someone. This is someone who had a real relationship with God. Now, Mary still is living under the old covenant. Now, I know that sounds confusing because in your Bible, Luke is in the New Testament, but this is before the cross. So she's following all of the Old Testament law still up until this point. She's doing as much as she can to keep the law, to keep the commandments, to, to do everything that God originally established through Moses. So she's doing all of those things. And so when the angel comes to her and says, you are highly favored, it's because she has done something. She understood the relationship that God wanted to have with her, and that's what made her highly favored. 
we can actually see, we don't have like a book of Mary. I'm not going to get into the Apocrypha and the Gospel of Mary. We're not doing that here. But we don't have, what do we have to see Mary's relationship with God? Well, if you look down and jump a couple verses ahead to verse 46, we read that in Luke 1:46 that Mary talks about her prayer. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted the lowly. Verse 53 says, And he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty, and he has helped his servant Israel in his remembrance of his mercy. And verse 55 says, And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham his seed forever. That's powerful, isn't it? That's power. So, so what are the things? What did Mary understand about God? Well, first she understood that only God could save her. That's the first thing she realized, that only God could save her. That's what she says, my soul react, God my Savior. So she has the same relationship that you and I have. And then she realizes that God blesses us, that, that God is mighty, that God is merciful, that God is powerful, that, that he is the one who, who humbles. He's the one who is the lifter of our head. He's the helper. He's the one that sent us the helper, the Holy Spirit. Mary understood the importance about her godly family that she was a part of. See, she knew all of these things, and she lived a life that followed all of these things. She was living before the cross. She understood the importance of keeping all these things. But really, this is what made her relationship with God so strong. It's because her understanding of God. And so when the angel came to her and said, you're highly favored, this is not something new. This is not a a foreign concept to her. This is something that she's like, wow. All of this is really paying off. All of me diligently seeking and following God, this, this is what it's come to. It's come to this moment that this young girl in her teens realizing this miracle is about to take place. But what makes us highly favored? It's not keeping the law. It's not your church attendance. It's not how much you give. It's not how nice you are. It's not about how much you don't curse. It's not about how much you don't drink or smoke or cuss or do any of that stuff. It's about Jesus. You and I, we're highly favored because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we're saved. And that's what it says here in 2 Timothy 1.9. It says he saved us and called us to a holy life. We're blessed because of Jesus. That the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we're saved. Because of Jesus, we're blessed. Because of Jesus, we're mighty and powerful. Jesus gives the disciples power and authority to go cast out demons. Because of Jesus, we've received his mercy In Micah, it says he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. See, our revelation of God relates to the release of God's power in our life. Our revelation of God relates to the release of God's power in our lives. If we don't understand the revelation of how God relates to us, it's going to inhibit the ability for God to release his power in our lives. See, Mary understood the relationship she had with God, so it enabled this power to be released into her life. When we understand that relationship with God, it enables us to receive that power in our lives as well. That's powerful. Isn't that powerful? If you can, please look at verse Luke 129. Okay? Verse 29 says this, but when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. You can think about it, right? If an angel comes into your house, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I expected you. You're going to kind of be like a little nervous, like, what are you doing here, right? 
nice 10 foot tall glowing being comes into your house, be like, what is happening, right? This is like a normal response for Mary. She's like, what kind of greeting is this? Verse 30, then the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You have found grace with God. So he says that you're highly favored. And then he goes on and says, well, you have found grace with God. What does that mean that Mary found grace with God? Well, she followed the law. She had a relationship with God. She was obedient about those things. And that's that Greek word charis that we see, the grace, the unmerited favor of God. You have found favor. You have found grace with God. And we actually see this term being used again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Verse 4 says, And just as he, in him, before the foundation of the world, he chose us that we should be holy and without blame, he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the gospel, of, according to his good pleasure, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. See, that word accepted is powerful. It means endowed with grace. It means to make graceful. Mary found favor with God. You and I have found favor with God. Mary found favor with God because she was really good at trying to keep the law. She did a really good job. She made a mistake. She made the sacrifice because of all these things, right? She tried her hardest. You and I have favor with God because of Jesus, because his power has overshadowed us at some point. When his power overshadows us, our situation changes. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Christ dwells in our hearts. So what does that mean? Every spiritual blessing is with us. You're favored. God loves you. Mary was highly favored. He, she was highly esteemed. You and I are highly favored. You and I are highly esteemed. You and I are accepted because of Jesus. You are graceful. You are full of grace. There is nothing that you can do to get more of God's favor in your life. Nothing that you do can get you more of God's favor. It doesn't matter if you don't curse. It doesn't matter if you don't drink. That has no factor. That impacts your life, but it doesn't impact the amount of grace that God has over you because God loves you. God cares about you. See, this is something that when we understand the grace of God, it doesn't make us lazy. In fact, it's the very opposite. When you understand the grace of God, what it does is it empowers you to live a grace-filled life, to, to do more for God than you ever would if you were afraid of God. The grace of God, the unmerited favor, it's like if you know that no matter how many times you made a mistake, you always would have forgiveness. After a while, you're like, man, I don't deserve this, right? Talked about that with my son before. He disobeys me, and we're like, we're not going to the Lego store. And daddy shows grace to him, and Cynthia tells him, well, that's what grace is. Yeah, because he did not deserve to go. We, don't, we do not deserve salvation, but God freely gave it to us. We don't deserve to have all of these wonderful spiritual blessings, but God wanted us to have it, and so he gave it to us. It's a free gift. Third point is God makes the impossible possible. How many of us know that God makes the impossible possible? Amen? Look at verse 31 here in Luke Chapter 1, verse 31. Again, I'm reading out of the, NIV, uh, the New King James Version today. Luke 1, verse 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's a lot in just those two, three verses right there that we don't have time to unpack. Right? We don't have time in, in one Sunday we, to just do all that. 
What's the point of this? Why is, why is the angel telling Mary this? Because he's telling her, listen, in your womb, it's gonna be a son. His name's gonna be Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's gonna be great. He's gonna be called the son of the highest. He, and, and he's gonna fulfill the throne of his father, David. Because why? Jesus came to earth, right? He left the splendor of heaven in the form of a baby from the lineage of David because that's what all the prophecies were talking about. And so he's fulfilling all these prophecies. He's from the lineage of David. He's from the lineage of Jacob. And his kingdom's going to reign forever. And that was the one thing that the people got hung up on. Well, you're the Messiah. Where's your kingdom? You're the Messiah. Where's your sword? And so a lot of the Jews at the time rejected Jesus as the Messiah, even to this day, because they thought that he was going to have an earthly kingdom. An earthly kingdom will eventually pass away. A heavenly kingdom will never pass away. An eternal kingdom will be around eternally. And so they're like, well, this can't be the Messiah, but this is exactly the plan that God had. How many of us know, we might think of a situation being done one way, but God might have a different plan of it, and God's plan is always way better than our plan? We think like finitely, God thinks infinitely, God is outside of the scope of time. We can't comprehend that, but that's just how it is. So God looks at existence and goes, here's humanity's existence, and I'm outside of that, I'm outside of time. And so when we think finitely, God thinks infinitely. And so now we see this, that Mary has this, this, this message, and verse 34, that Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She understood the law of pregnancy. She understood the laws of conception. She's saying, how can this impossible be possible? Now, I think Mary was not asking this from a standpoint of doubt. I don't think, I think Mary was asking this from the standpoint of, well, I know this shouldn't normally happen. How is it going to happen? Not, this can't happen. How can this be? It's, no, no, this is an impossible situation, but tell me, how is God going to make this possible? It's different, right? Versus saying, well, I can't, I, don't, I can't fathom how this can possibly take place. She's, no, this is, how can this, how can this be? How can this be? It's very different than Zacharias's response. See, when the angel in the beginning of Luke 1 goes to Zacharias and says, hey, Elizabeth's going to have a kid, he goes, but she's, she's, she's seasoned. That's a nice way to call her old. She's seasoned. She, she, you know how old she is? Her, her womb is barren. And so the angel goes, okay, shut up. You're not going to talk for nine months, right? I'm sure Elizabeth was very happy with that, right? to spell out the name, right? Angel tells us, it's going to be called John. But what happened? See, his response wasn't the right response. He kept complaining. Well, how can this be? This is too old. It's not going to happen. So the angel goes, all right, Zachariah, stop talking because you're going to talk yourself out of a miracle. Stop talking. And so what happens? Now he says, you can't talk for nine months because why? That was the wrong response to the message from God. But Mary has the right response. How can this be? And so then in verse 34, we see this. She's asking, how can the impossible be made possible? It's a valid question. There's so many times that we've come into situations that we, we ask the same question. God, how can this impossible situation be possible? How, how can my finances make sense when it doesn't make sense of what's in my bank account and what has to come out of the bank account? It doesn't make sense to me. So you, you, has anyone ever been in that experience before? Not the, it's, just, it's just like I have an impossible situation. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. Just me up here? Okay, awesome, great. So how, Lord, how? We've been presented with impossible situations many, many times. And your response could be one of two things. One of two things. It could be either be, I just focus on the impossibility of the situation. Lord, there's no way this can turn out the right way. 
There's, there's no way. There's no way out. There's no possible way. I have no hope. I have no understanding of how it's going to take place. This impossible situation is overwhelming me. It's not going to get better. You can focus on that, or you can focus on the God that makes all things possible. And when you focus on the God that makes all things possible, get your eyes off of yourself and off of your situation and get your, God, your eyes on the one who can make all things possible. Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about how, how difficult it is for, for, was for this rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This guy comes and says, teacher, how do I get into heaven? He says, give away all your possessions. And he, and he couldn't do that because he valued the possessions more than the relationship with Jesus. It's not that he wanted him to be poor. He wanted his heart to be in the right place. And so Jesus says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying that rich people won't be in heaven because we got a lot of rich people in here. Praise God, hallelujah, thank Jesus, right? But what he was saying is that if your heart is in the wrong place, it's impossible to follow God. And I heard a minister talk about, he went to Israel and he was getting these tours done in Jerusalem. And he goes, he asked the tour guide, where's the eye of the needle? Because back then they thought the eye of the needle was a certain gate that you'd have to stoop down. And because it's a very low gate, you'd have to crawl through. And the, and the tour guide's like, well, we'll get to the eye of the needle. And he's like, where's the eye of the needle? I want to go see. And he goes, oh, we're going to get to it. And so this guy goes, there is no eye of the needle. And the tour guide's like, no, there isn't. So what what is he talking about? I think Jesus is literally talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's impossible. But what does Jesus tell them? But with God, all things are possible. He knows the improbability, the impossibility of our situations. But that doesn't mean that God cannot make the impossible possible. That's what God is in the business of. It, It seems impossible that we would even have salvation, but it's possible to us. Because of Jesus. It seems impossible for all these things to happen, but Jesus tells them, but with God, all things are possible. Can we say that? With God, all things are possible. Look up in the morning. Wake up in the morning. Look at yourself in the mirror, and you go, you're looking at your situation, you go, yeah, but with God, all things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. Because only God can make the impossible possible. How does he do that? How does God make the impossible situation possible? First, it comes by his Holy Spirit in and around us. It comes from the Holy Spirit first and foremost. And then it comes with his power overshadowing us. See, many times we we want the power, but we're missing the relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit. It's his Holy Spirit in and around us that we can experience this. God physically manifesting himself through his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you and I. He can make the impossible possible. The fourth main point we're going to look at today is that the Holy Spirit changes your situation. Right? The Holy Spirit operating in your life changes your situation. Look at Luke 35. Luke 135. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power, everyone say power, power of the highest or the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, also the one, the holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. So what comes first in this? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then the power, the dunamis power, the power in action, that explosive dynamite-like power will overshadow you. It will cover you. And the baby that will be called, will born, will be called the son of God. 
What comes first? The Holy Spirit always comes first. The Holy Spirit will come either through an invitation, Holy Spirit, come into my life, or he can manifest in a powerful way, some kind of supernatural encounter. I would much rather not put it up to chance and hope the Holy Spirit shows up and say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, live in me. Holy Spirit, be an integral part of my life. That's what happens when you give your heart to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And because the Holy Spirit's in you, that overshadowing, dynamite-like power is part of you. The overshadowing seen here is the exact kind of overshadowing we see in Luke 9. If you want to turn over to Luke 9, verse 34, you can. In Luke 9, we see that Jesus goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And as he's up there, his face changes. His, his clothing is glowing. And then the, the Peter, James, and John, right, they see Jesus. They see Elijah, and they see Moses. They're seeing this amazing thing, and Peter goes, Lord, it's, Master, this is great. Let's build tabernacles here. Let's worship this here. This is good for us to be here. And in verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful in awe and reverence. And as they encountered the cloud, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. That's so powerful. Why? Why? What's the significance of Moses and Elijah here at the transfiguration? Because what God was saying here is, listen, what Moses did, what he was, what he, my servant Moses, very important. My servant Elijah, very important. See, Moses represented all of the Old Testament law that they had to follow. Elijah represented all of the Old Testament prophets at that time. And God's saying, yes, Moses was important. All the law is important. Elijah is important. All the prophets were important. But listen to my son. Because what happens is, if you want to hear God, if you want to experience this overshadowing power, listening to God is paramount. You have to be able to listen to God. You have to be able to hear his voice. Now, you might not even realize this, but you've heard the voice of God. You have. Nick, I've never heard the voice of God. No, you have. See, what, the way God speaks to us now is he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, right? Your Holy Spirit, your spirit man, you have an eternal being inside of you that when you give your heart to the Lord, is made new, it's made quickened, it's made alive. So your spirit inside, your spirit man will sound a lot like you. Your spirit man will sound like you. And when the Holy Spirit inside of you is speaking to you, you know what it's going to sound like? You. It's not going to sound like this. This is the Spirit of God. Give that person $20. Unless that's how you normally talk, right? Unless, that's, unless you're Reverend Ed, that's how he talks all the time, right? Unless you're Reverend Ed, your Holy Spirit inside of you is not going to be talking like Reverend Ed in your head, okay? Your Holy Spirit will talk like you. The difference being, it'll do a couple things. One, it will always glorify God. It'll always speak truths that are aligned in Scripture. That's why reading the Bible is so important, because if you don't know what's in the Bible, it's hard to decipher if this is from God or not, right? So the Holy Spirit will always speak truth that is parallel to the Bible, but he'll always obviously do things that are going to bless people, right? You hear that voice inside. It sounds like you. It's a still small voice. Hey, pay for that person's grocery. Don't go, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, right? It's probably God. It's probably the Holy Spirit. If it's something good that glorifies God, that'll bless someone, that'll benefit someone, that aligns with the word of God, that's the Holy Spirit. Some of you are starting to realize today that you have heard the voice of God. Yes, you have heard the voice of God. We are here because we are followers of God. Jesus said, my sheep know me because they hear my voice. They hear my voice and they know me. You are more valuable than a sheep. 
You're a child. You're a daughter. You're a son. You're an heir. You're a co-heir. You're a beloved. You are these wonderful things. God wants you to hear his voice. The Holy Spirit will sound a lot like you, but it will align with God's word. That's powerful, isn't it? I want to hear the voice of God. You've heard the voice of God many, many times. The the challenge is removing all of the distractions in our life and really honing into that still small voice because God will not force his way into your life. He won't. He won't. I know some of us wish that God will just supernaturally appear and supernaturally interject in our situation. He's not going to do that. You know, some of us really want that like transfiguration experience with God. Some of us want that visitation from the angel, right? We want those supernatural encounters. I want to be filled with the, I want to be in the glory of God. I want to just experience that. That would cripple you spiritually sometimes if you have those experiences. That doesn't make sense. No, listen, think of it this way. You go home, you go into your bedroom, you have an encounter with God. You're in your bedroom. The glory of God fills your room, right? You hear an audible voice, audible from your ear, right? You hear a voice of God speaking to you directly, changes your life. What happens next time? Well, you think, well, that's the only way God can speak to me. Has to be an audible voice. My room has to be filled with the presence, the glory of God. Otherwise, God will not speak to me. And what's gonna happen? You're gonna be like a drug addict looking for that fix, that when you don't get that fix, you're gonna find it someplace else because that's not how God intended our relationship to be. God intends our relationship to be communion with him through the Holy Spirit, through that fellowship. It's like if you go and you eat a a half a cheesecake, right? The first bite of that cheesecake is gonna be delicious, right? Oh, this is good. Then you go slice number two. You're like, this is still good. Slice three, you're shoveling slice four. What happens after slice four? You're like, oh my God, I'm gonna die, right? This is too much cheesecake. Why did I do this? It's not good. And you feel sick, Because too much of that is not what sustains you. What sustains you is healthy food, right? I learned on Thanksgiving what the trick to eating Brussels sprouts is. You know what the trick is? It's not, not, bacon's, that's probably good too, right? And the trick is to not eat them, not, not eat them. No, no, you got to eat them, right? The trick is an open flame barbecue. Oh, it's good. Salt and pepper, open flame. It's like, wow, I can actually eat this and not feel disgusting, right? But what? That's the food that sustains you. Chicken sustains you. Beef sustains you. Bacon will sustain you, okay? Especially if you're keto dieting, right? That sustains you. See, hearing the Holy Spirit regularly is what sustains you. Those encounters with God, while they're awesome, and while I'm sure we all want them, could cripple us spiritually because I'm like, I need my fix again. Because what's going to happen if you don't get that ever again? You're going to feel like God doesn't care about you. God, you were here. What did I do wrong? That's not what it's about. You have a supernatural encounter with God. Man, that's a blessing. But God wants you to have a regular encounter with him through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So don't just think, well, I'm highly favored, Nick, because you are. And I have this. I've been accepted. But why doesn't an angel come into my room and visit me? Because you're not a virgin giving birth to the Son of God. You are a child of God, and your Father, Heavenly Father, wants to speak to you regularly every single day. It's like if I only communicated with my son by plastering a message on a billboard that when I'm driving by a highway, he would see it once in a while, I would be a terrible, terrible father, right? A supernatural encounter like that, I'm going to pay a celebrity to come to my house and go, hey, daddy loves you, and then leave? How messed up will my family be? But if my son hears my voice constantly, he hears me talking to him regularly, he hears the tone of my voice and can identify my voice, then what? That's a healthy relationship. 
When we identify the Holy Spirit, we identify what the Holy Spirit sounds like, we identify the truth that are in God's word, it changes us, it sustains us. Don't expect that once event to always have to be it. It's more than that. God wants you to experience more than that on a regular basis, amen? Amen. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and heard. He's talking about, it was great when Jesus was there on the earth doing his ministry for three and a half years. It's great, but he says it's blessed for those who haven't seen that still believe. It's more blessed for us because we might have this view of what the Messiah would look like and when we would see Jesus might go, well, that can't be what he looks like because I think he has to be blonde hair and blue eyes, right? But we, we, we see him in our spirit. We see him by the word of God. So it's easier for us to obtain understanding. It's easier for us to obtain truth, amen? Last point here, point number five is have the right response. Look at Luke 1, verse 36. We're gonna close um, in this passage in just a minute, but look at Luke 1, verse 36. Have the right response because the right response is everything when it comes to the things of God. Verse 36 says, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Can you say that again? For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. I think, you think about this, right? God is known for making impossible things possible. Well, we're wandering in the desert for 40 years. We don't have food. Food rains down from heaven, right? Well, we're wandering in the desert. We need some water. Crack, water comes pouring out of a rock, right? Father, we're tired of the manna. We need something else. A wall of birds fall down, and now they're eating birds from the sky, right? God just takes these impossible situations and makes them possible. And I I think he uses uh, uh, women that are seasoned, right, to give birth, because there's no other way that it can happen unless it's with God. Everyone can clearly see when when a woman is seasoned and know they're probably past the age where they can have children. And so when they actually are pregnant and the baby comes out healthy and normal, then they're like, wow, how can that possibly be? The only answer is what? God. So when we talk about Elizabeth and we see this, right? Like, she's barren. How can this be? The answer only is what? God. When, when your impossible situation now becomes possible and you have victory over the impossible situation, you know what your response is going to be? God. It's God. I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have done this issue. I couldn't have fixed this. I couldn't have restored that relationship. It was what? It was God. It had to be God. There's no other answer. Look at verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is a very different response than right Zacharias at the beginning of the chapter. How can this be? It's not possible. How's Okay, well, you're not going to talk, but Mary says, let it be. Because you know what? The response to the promise of God is very important when it comes to the promises of God. Your response to the promises of God are extremely important. We're actually going to talk more about this next week. Next Sunday, we're going to continue this short little series, but the importance of the response to the things of God. Because what you say in response to the promises of God is extremely important. The let it be to me, Mary's verbal agreement, It was her saying, I understand the risk. You know what the risks were of an unmarried woman at that time being pregnant with someone? The father of the child could publicly denounce her in front of everybody, making her a social outcast. He could have said, I am not marrying her because she's pregnant. And you know what would have happened? 
No one else would have married her because she was pregnant. That's the first thing that could have happened. The second thing is her own father could have disowned her. So now if her father disowned her and the father of the child rejected her, that's why when we read about how Joseph wanted to privately put Mary away, because Joseph was a good guy. He didn't want to embarrass her publicly. He loved her. He cared for Mary. He didn't want anything bad to happen to her. He knew. He looked at the situation and go, "Mm, don't think that's from God, okay? Because up until this point, that hasn't ever happened where a virgin has given birth to a child, right? So he probably saw her and goes, okay, you cheated on me, but I love you so much. I'm not going to publicly humiliate you. I'm just going to put you away. I'm going to divorce you privately because Joseph was a great guy. Because he knew what the consequences were. The consequences of being a young lady, a young girl, pregnant with, with, without being married is either begging, you're a beggar for the rest of your life, or you are a prostitute. So Mary knew this. She followed the laws of God. She knew. She grew up knowing all of these statutes, all of these laws. And so by her saying, let it be according to your word, she understood the risks that were associated with having a virgin birth. And still, she said, let it be. God will not impose his will in your life. He'll present it to you and go, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to go into it? you want to go all in? you want to reject it? That's up to you. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, no matter how many promises of God that they are, they're all yes in Christ, but so then the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What is that saying? All of God's promises are yes, they're true, they're so be it, they're available, but you and I have to come into agreement with the promises of God in order to obtain them. He has a lot of great promises for us. They're there. They're here. They're in your inheritance. You want them. They're here. You own them. You possess them. The reason why we're not seeing them manifest is because are we saying amen to the promises? When you say amen to the promise, then it's yours. It's like when you get that inheritance, right? You sign over ownership of property. It could be yours. You can have it. But until you sign, you say, yes, I accept this, no one's going to force it on you. You have to accept it. You got to take ownership of it. We have to come into agreement with the promises of God. We have to come into agreement. I have to know what they are, and I got to say, yes, I want this. I got to say amen to them. Everyone say amen. Amen. I got to say amen to the promises of God. Yes, Lord, I I accept your promises. I want them all. Give them all to me. So what are the main points that we talked about today? One, that you're highly favored, right? You you and I, we are highly favored. Just like Mary was highly favored, she, she kept the Old Testament law. She followed the statutes. She had favor with God. She was highly favored. You and I are highly favored. Because of Christ, you and I are accepted. Because because God makes the impossible possible. Thank you, Lord, that he makes the impossible possible. I cannot do it on my own. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot try to make God do anything. The biggest revelation I got this week is is the idea of resting in the promises of God. Me personally, this is just me. I'm kind of opening myself up here. So many times I felt like when I prayed to God, I have to, I got to make that prayer work. You know what I'm talking about? Never ever feel like that? Like you're gonna make that prayer work? You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna make that thing work for God? And intentions are good. I'm like, I gotta make this thing work. I gotta make this prayer work. I gotta make this prayer get up to you. And, and it's not like I was trying to have God hear me better, but my, my heart has changed in that, look, the pressure's not on me. The, there's no pressure at all, right? The pressure's not on you. God has already promised it to you. It's a done deal. When you pray, don't worry about it. Trust God. Rest in the promise. It's like you're going to sit back. You ever, you ever, anyone like sitting in a hammock? Anyone ever sit in a hammock before? They're terrifying, okay? Hammocks are terrifying devices created by a sociopath. But when you're actually in the hammock and not falling and spinning off, right? 
you get that rest. You're just like completely, like almost like wrapped up in a blanket, right? And suspended. It's like a, it's a comfortable feeling. See, our relationship with God should be that. It should be us resting in him. When we pray, it should be us resting in the prayers, not forcing the prayer. The promises of God, it's us resting in the promises, not forcing the promise in our life. It's a rest. Mary said, let it be according to your will. Lord, let it be. Whatever it is that you need in your life, just say, Lord, let it be. Lord, let it be. Whatever it is, I want, I want it. I'm gonna do, Lord, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to do my part, but Lord, ultimately, it comes down to you. It comes down to you, your timing. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to have your time. I'm just going to wait. But rest in the promises of God because you know what it does? It frees you. And then you experience more of God's goodness because you're not trying to do anything. You're just resting in God. The Holy Spirit will change your situation. And we gotta have the right response. Gotta have the right response. That's big. Mary had the right response. Zacharias had the wrong response. You gotta have the right response for whatever God's presenting in front of you. Don't doubt him. He says, listen, this is this, this impossible situation. This is how it's gonna take play out. It's impossible. No, no, with God, all things are possible. You're at your job and your boss is saying, we have, we have this problem. We've tried everything in the past. We have no way to get the answer to this problem. What do we do? The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to do. It's gonna be different than what's done before. They're going, wow, how, how is this possible? You can go, well, with God, all things are possible. I learned that on Sunday. Because God will give you, the Holy Spirit will tell you things, not just spiritual things. It will be spiritual things, but it's also things to bless you, bless those around you overshadow those around you with the power of God. Just like Peter walking, his shadow overshadowed people and they were healed. You walking around, right? You are a, a vessel of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God living in you. You have dynamite power. You don't just have power, you have power in action. Use it. Turn the key, put it in first gear, pop the clutch, hit the gas and go. That's what God wants you to do. Mary knew God. She, she made herself available to God. She, she agreed with the promises of God. And she accepted the promise in her life. Let it be. And what happened? The power of God overshadowed her. This season that we're in, it's an awesome season. I love Christmas. I love celebrating the birth of Jesus because that's what it's about. Everyone's singing songs about the Messiah, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel. (laughs) People don't even realize that they're praising God when they're singing these songs. And it's awesome. As we continue the season of giving, don't forget what it's really about. It's about a season of of power for us, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus leaves the splendor of heaven, the form of a baby in a a dirty feeding trough, wrapped up in clothes. We read about Jesus being wrapped up twice in, in the beginning part of Luke. Because when we read after the birth, it reads about Mary wrapping Jesus in swaddling clothes. And we see the shepherds are in the field and the angels say, you'll see him lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, in, verse, in chapter 27, we read about Joseph again wrapping Jesus. It's a different Joseph this time. This time it's Joseph of Arimathea. And this time he's wrapping the dead body of Jesus to put him in a tomb. But which after three days, we know he comes back alive from the dead. See, that baby that was wrapped in a manger had a plan to be wrapped up to go into a tomb to come back from the dead again to give you and I salvation. That's what this season's about. It's about that baby in a manger. Yeah, that baby in a manger that grew up like you and I grew up, that lived through and went through the things that we've experienced and the temptations that you and I have experienced, and he came out perfectly clean. He came out sinless. He came out perfect. He died a sinful death to rise from the dead to give you and I salvation. It is the greatest gift that we have ever received. And that's what the season's about. Let's pray before we, as we close the service. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for every person hearing this, Lord. I thank you for every single person here. 
but they be encouraged by this word that they realize that they can operate in the power that overshadows them, that they're highly favored, that they're beloved, that they're accepted, that they're full of your grace, that that you have all these great things in store for them. Father, I pray that none of us leave here with any doubt about this message, that there's no doubt in our hearts, that we all understand this message is for us. It's from you, for us. So we thank you for this today. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never made that commitment to follow Christ, this is where it starts. See, the reason why we celebrate Christmas, the reason why we sing these carols, the reason why we sing these hymns is because it's the, the most amazing event in history, the arrival of our Savior, the birth of Christ. Such a significant and important event that our, our calendar re- revolves around the birth of Jesus. How we've kept track of time revolves around this moment in history. And see, he came knowing his plan, his purpose, and his mission, and it was to offer you the free gift of salvation. So if you've never made that commitment to follow him, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, he's not a baby lying in a manger anymore. He's not a man crucified on a cross. He is a risen Savior, seated in heaven at the right hand of God, who took the keys of hell, death, and the grave and offers salvation willingly. If you're ready to to receive that salvation, we're going to say a prayer. We ask you just to say it with us. Everyone say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive from the dead. Lord, live in me. Lord, work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about the church or would like to support our ministry, head over to ChristianFaithCTR.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.